Good morning. This is Sunday morning and a beautiful Sunday morning it is here in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. We want to welcome you to our service today, an opportunity to worship through God's Word. We are here on behalf of the McDowell Mission Ministry, the uh, Friendship Home and the John Thompson Center. We want to welcome each one of you that are joining today. I trust that you are um, being safe and following all the guidelines that are necessary during this time. And we do look forward to the opportunity of being back with you in person, being able to share with you God's Word, being able to hear from you uh, your stories and your circumstances and situations through this event. But until that time comes, until that door reopens, uh, we're going to have to worship at a distance. And we're going to have to do it by Facebook Live and by uh, the website, uh, uh, the, theinspiringword.org and uh, those things because the videos that are here on the Facebook website, on Facebook Live, are later in the day uh, sent to the website, theinspiringword.org, for people to either download the video or to download the audio on the, uh, on the sermon. So uh, we want to invite you to take advantage of all of those opportunities as well. Invite others to come join us. Those of you who may be watching this morning uh, and are not part of the McDowell Missions Ministries, we want to welcome you. We trust God has blessed you abundantly in this past week. And we want to add to that blessing from God's Word today. We're going to be getting into the message shortly, and just so you'll have time to find your place, we're going to be in Psalm 6 today. And I realize over the last few weeks I have preached exclusively from Psalms, but as I pray and as I move toward the messages that I give, I, I am directed to stay in the book of Psalms. I believe the book of Psalms has a lot to say to all of us, to the world in general, to the church, and to the individual Christian regarding the days that we're living in, regarding the difficult times, the uncertainty, the frustration. And we all have that frustration. And uh, I believe Psalms speaks to it. I certainly know that today's message will help if you'll let it speak to your heart. Again, Psalm 6. But I want to move into prayer requests. I have several prayer requests this morning from individuals and observances throughout the week. And I do want to remember all of those. There are the inmates that are in the correctional facilities that I help care for. The staff members that are there also, we want to remember them. The brothers and sisters who are there in uniform, the corrections officers, the uh, administrators, all of those. We're praying for you today. We do, and I do personally. I, I experience the difficulties of the job daily with you. I witness what you go through. And I want you to know you're not forgotten. We care for you. To those in uniform around the area, the sheriff's department, the local police department, the EMS and fire departments, local responders, hospitals, the nursing home workers, 
not in this particular county, but in neighboring counties, there are nursing homes who are really struggling with COVID-19. And I want those people to know we're remembering you today as well. There are those that are watching that may have lost their jobs or may be furloughed because of COVID-19 and because of the economic problems that are stemming from it. I want you to know today that God knows your circumstances. And I want you to know that He loves you. And I want you to know that we're remembering you in prayer. Because God is going to see us through this. He's going to see us through it in His will and in His way, though. And we have to understand that. And when we're praying this morning, we all have to remember to ask God for His wisdom in our life so that we are on the same page with Him. You see, it does us no good to ask God to do things in our life if, if we're asking out of our will and not God's. So this morning as we pray, let's remember these requests. And I hope you are sharing some of your requests or at least some of the burdens that you have that may lead to those requests. God knows what they are. Specifics aren't necessary. Not to God. He already knows. They're not necessary to me, and they're certainly not necessary to the viewing audience. Just the simple fact that you have something on your heart, something heavy, a burden that you're carrying, a trouble, a sickness, an issue. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's open our worship time and then we'll move into his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of coming to you once again. Thank you for the honor of opening your word. Lord, I pray that as we delve into your word this morning, as we open it, I pray that you would speak, not me, but you. And God, I pray that you would move in a mighty and in a powerful way. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would touch hearts and lives. I pray, God, that you would save souls this morning. That's what it's all about. Your word is about reaching souls that need to be saved. Souls that need to be reclaimed back to your service, back to your loving embrace. And God, we pray for all of that. We pray for your will in all matters of rest, surrounding this world and the circumstances around it and in it. God, we pray for the people who are sick today. Regardless of what that sickness may be, we pray for them. And we ask that you would heal them, that you would move according to your will, that you would bless the knowledge of the physicians and the caregivers, the scientists who are involved in trying to find cures. God, we pray that you would give strength and confidence and peace to those who are sick today. God, we pray that all of those who are frontline essential employees and workers during this time, we pray that you would strengthen them. Whatever it is in their life that they're dealing with, we pray that you would move in their life and lift them up, undergird them, empower them according to your will. God, we pray most of all that the requests that are being lifted up to you this morning, whether it be here in this study, 
whether it would be in someone's home or living room, whether it is in a place of business today. God, I pray that you would move in their lives according to your will in their life. And Lord, I pray above all that you would enlighten us and bring us into a knowledge of your will through this, through the circumstances that we face in life, whether they be uh, through illness, whether they be through economic issues, whether they be through political uncertainty. God, I pray for you to get us on the same page with you because that's what we really need today. This world needs to be in tune with you once again. We need a great awakening across this land. There's unjustifiable death. There's murder of innocents, of innocent people, of innocent babies today. There's, there, there are, there's unknown suffering. There's unjustified suffering. God, you know what's needed. We need you in America today. We need you. We need a great awakening, a great revival to sweep across this land that will draw us to you in repentance. Now, God, as I close this prayer, as we open our service, bless your word. Bless your word that it would accomplish everything that you purposed it to do. Bless it, dear Lord, to touch lives, to change souls, to reclaim hearts and bring them back to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I said, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 6. A relatively short psalm, only 10 verses long, but 10 verses that speak to our hearts regarding the circumstances that we're in today. So reading to you from Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me from thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. So when we look at God's Word, we understand from experience and from Scripture that life is full of problems. And there's a lot to be talked about concerning those problems and identifying those problems today. Turn on the TV if you dare, and you're going to hear about problems. You're going to hear about those that are surrounding you and those that are embracing you and all you're going to hear are problems. And you know what? With those problems, you're not going to hear a lot of solution from the world. You're just not. 
Because the world doesn't have a lot of solution. The world doesn't have a lot of answers. The world is struggling. Now, I'm not going to tell you today that God is going to open up heaven and drop down a cure for, for COVID-19 or for cancer or for diabetes or for any of these things. He certainly could if he wanted to. But what I'm wanting to tell you, what I'm wanting you to understand this morning is that there have been problems in the world and among people for centuries. David, we just read, spoke of problems. He addressed them in the sixth psalm. But David did more than address his problems. He explored them. He explored them to the depths of his soul. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. How often do we consider our problems, even take time to write them down on a piece of paper? Write them down and explore them to the depth of our soul. Explore them asking questions about how much of these problems are actually caused by someone else and how much of these problems are caused by me. Explore the problems and then look to God for possible answers. And you know what? God has an answer for every problem we have. It may not be a cure for the problem, but it will be an answer. That answer may cure it and may move it on and take it away. And that answer may simply give us peace, strength, knowledge, understanding, or something of like something akin to those things to help deal with it and help us move it on. Because after all, remember even the Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. Even the Apostle Paul had issues that he prayed for God to heal him and God said, no, but my grace is sufficient for thee. Maybe God's answer to your problem or my problem today is not the solution we're seeking, but maybe God's answer is grace. Grace that is abundant. Grace that is sufficient. You see, when David explored his problems to the depths of his soul, he found, he found answers that were written in this psalm. He found answers that really changed his life. He explored them. So from the sixth psalm, I believe that we can find at least three things to help us through problems in our daily life. Three things that I believe are going to key us in to what God wants in our life. What he wants in my life, what he wants in your life, what he wants in the lives of your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, everyone you're in contact with and everyone you're in touch with. Christian, he, he wants answers. He has answers for your life and your problems and the, the lives and the problems of those that you meet daily in the workplace. The sixth psalm can provide you with encouragement, strength, knowledge, understanding, and a firm footing to move forward. So those three things I want to share as we explore the Lord's prescription for the problems of life. I want you to notice with me first 
the Lord tells us to appeal for help in verses 1 through 4. The first words in verse number 1. Oh Lord. David calls out to the Lord. He calls out to the Lord and he asks him not to rebuke him. Not to correct him. But now so he says not to correct me in anger or chasten me in hot displeasure. In other words, David knew that God is angry at sin. David knew that God had gone about as far as he was going to go. David knew it was time to make a change. David knew the problems in his life after he explored them. He knew that he had contributed to them. Maybe he didn't bring them on. But David had health problems and David had uh, David had spiritual problems. David had the same types of problems that you and I have today. Remember, before David became king, he was chased all over the world. The world as it was known in that day. He was chased all over the world by Saul trying to kill him. David was sleeping outdoors. He was, he was having to fight enemies and animals and everything. And as he's gotten older in life, that wear and tear was showing up on him physically. And also during that time, there were doubting taking place. He doubted God. He, he doubted things going on. He committed sin. He thought about there were sins of omission, sins of commission. A lot of things going on there in David's life. Things that go on in our life every day. So when he realized and he reflected back on his life and the problems that he currently had, then he comes up and he looks and he says, Oh Lord, Rebuke me not in anger and don't chasten me in your hot displeasure. I know I've pushed you as far as I can go. And God, I finally see it. And I'm calling out to you. What a wonderful thought there is to appeal to God. During these times of disgust and displeasure and dissatisfaction, during the times of frustration in your life, how many times do you call out to God? How many times do you explore these things and call out to Him and ask Him not to vent Himself on you, not to judge you, not to rebuke you in His anger? We need to acknowledge we need His help. How, how, how long has it been since you acknowledged to God that you need His help? How long has it been since you've actually cried out to Him in that need? We cry out to our government today, wanting them to bail us out financially. We cry out to our government today, wanting us to open up and, and, and release the laws that have closed businesses and, and is harming our economy. We call out to local leaders to do certain things and to be certain and to take on certain areas of responsibility. We cry out to employers. We cry out to family members. We cry out to everyone else. But how long has it been since you've cried out to God for His will? 
His will. Not what you want. Because has it ever dawned on you that maybe, maybe the route that you seek is not God's route in your life? Now, I didn't say the solution. Your solution and God's solution may be the same. But the way that you get to those solutions may be entirely different. Your way, your solution may not be God's solution. Your route may not be God's route. How long have you acknowledged that you need God's help? How long has that been? How long has it been since you, like David, cried out to me? How long has it been since you've acknowledged your inability and God's ability? I watch Facebook, obviously. I'm on it right now. And I see all kinds of posts and comments where people have, are lifting themselves up, where people are lifting up others or are doing different things going on right now. And but very rarely do I see anything lifting up God and God's ability to handle things. I heard a, a prominent political figure in the state of New York say recently that the that the sickness up there of COVID-19 was making a downturn and it was not any of God's doing. It was science and the people of the state of New York and doctors and everything else. But it had nothing to do with prayer and faith. Sadly, that's an attitude that goes across our nation today. And I'm not just picking on New York. They were the ones that were bold enough to make this public. They were the ones that were bold enough to take credit for God's work. I'm simply repeating what they said. And it may not be a quote. It may be a paraphrase. But if it concerns you that badly, go look it up. The bottom line is, how long has it been since we acknowledged our inability and God's ability to do something? What does God have to do in our life personally and in the life of our nation to get us to understand Him, to get us to appeal for His help, to get us to seek God? Let's go back to the Scripture. Picking back up in verse 2, he, the psalmist says, Have mercy, heal me. My bones are vexed, my body, my physical body. My soul is vexed. In verse 3, Oh Lord, how long? How long are you going to leave me in this situation? And in verse 4, he says, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Save me for your, for thy mercy's sake. Speaking of God's mercy's sake. We need to seek God for God's will and for God's purpose and for God's glory. First, realizing that if we put God first in these problems, when they're taken care of, we will reap the benefit we will get to glean 
from the fields of that prosperity. How long has it been since we have appealed for help? Next, we need to ask, the Lord tells us to appraise our condition. We need to look at ourselves. We can't really appeal for help until we look at ourselves. In verses 5 through 7, picking back up on God's word. For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks. we got to understand that this life will end. We all are going to lay down these bodies. We're not going to necessarily die as God's word knows it. You see, when we lay these bodies down, we have a soul that will live in eternity somewhere in heaven or in hell. And yes, there is a literal heaven. And yes, there is a literal hell. And no, there is nothing else anywhere else that's going to bridge a gap and there's not going to be any promotion from one to the other or demotion from one to the other. We have our opportunity right here in this life. And we got to understand that one day time is going to come to an end. And we're going to lay these bodies down. We are going to die physically. And we are going to enter into an eternal life somewhere. Somewhere. And where will it be for you? Some of you may be watching and you may be thinking, well, I, I, I think that with everything I've done, I'll be good enough to get into heaven. Some of you are watching and you're thinking that, well, I've never harmed anybody. I've never killed anybody. I've never done anything really, really wrong, so I ought to be good enough to get into heaven. Some of you are thinking that you've attended church your entire life. You have given to causes. You've supported missionaries. Uh, you've done all of the things that were asked of you by the church leadership and by the pastors, so you'll get into heaven. Others of you are sitting here watching and you're saying, I don't believe it. I don't care about it. I don't believe there's a heaven or a hell. All of you that are covered in those scenarios are wrong. All of you. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't promote your way into heaven. You can't be promoted there by the good works through the church or through religion. And you can't just deny it and expect it to go away. Heaven and hell and eternity doesn't work that way. God has ordained heaven and hell and this earth for specific purposes. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to appraise our condition. Either we are ready to enter heaven through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by accepting Him and by accepting His blood sacrifice on the cross, by understanding that His resurrection from the dead wasn't something that was faked. His resurrection from the dead wasn't something 
that was just written down. His resurrection from the dead wasn't something that was just a momentary moral thing. His resurrection from the dead was an eternal thing that was foretold from the prophecy of the Old Testament. It was coming to life in reality in what we call the New Testament. And he ascended into heaven where he stands at the right hand of God forever making intercession for his saints. For his saints. For those that know him. And that's a big picture. Because often that part gets left out of that phrase. It gets left out of that quote. It gets misquoted. You see, Jesus is making intercession for those that he knows personally through his blood transfusion. Through the act of accepting Christ. They have appraised their condition. They have called upon Christ. He has saved their soul. Now he knows them by name. And he is there making intercession for them daily, moment by moment. Well, what about the rest? The rest have made their decision to not follow Jesus. And Christ has nothing to intercede on their behalf. The only thing Christ can do for them is save their soul if they will call upon Him. Which group do you find yourself in this morning? And when you appraise your life, which group do you find yourself in? You're, there's only two. You're either in that group of people who are born again and who realize they have eternal life, Or you're in the group that has denied him. The first group goes to heaven. The second group goes to hell when this life is over. He continues, the psalmist says, I am weary with my groaning all the night long. I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of mine enemies. When we appraise our situation, church, we got to understand that we're going to have moments of tears. We're going to have moments of heartbreak. We're going to have moments of sorrow, of groaning. We're going to have enemies. Because you're saved today doesn't give you a pass on any of the problems of life. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. If you're saved today, not only are you going to experience the problems of life, but you are also going to experience the problems of the devil, the greatest enemy that the Christian knows, constantly trying to make you fail and constantly trying to make you stumble and fall. And if you have somehow gone through life, your Christian life, and you are you're living this fantasy world that the devil's just never going to bother me, or, or this just isn't right, or that just isn't right, or why isn't it right, get it into your heart right now that you need to appraise your situation and realize where you really stand and what your purpose is in this life. As a born-again Christian, your purpose is not to be a political activist. As a born-again Christian, your purpose is not 
to be some type of a religious, wealthy figurehead trying to bring motivational speeches to people. As a born-again Christian, you're not to be involved in any of that stuff to the point of activism, to the point of, of building others up or doing things. You're supposed to be involved in spreading the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ to lead others to salvation. When we appraise ourselves, we need to ask the question today, are we doing what God wants us to do for the Great Commission? Are we following this? Or are we trying to follow a worldly definition of Christianity? Leave the world out of it. They know nothing about Christianity. The lost person knows nothing about Christianity. The only thing they know is that the Holy Spirit reveals to them they need to be saved. And if they are rejecting that, they don't want the key piece of the puzzle. They don't want that corner piece. You know, when you're building a jigsaw puzzle, you always want to start with a corner piece. When you're going into the Christian life, you want to start with a corner piece. Jesus Christ is that cornerstone that we build everything else upon. If we replace that cornerstone with something that the world says we ought to be, an image or a, de a definition or a description of what the world says we ought to be, then we're going off in the wrong direction and we're going down a road of misplaced religion and we're leaving aside Christianity and what the Bible says about it, what God's Word says about it. Jesus is to be that cornerstone. And that means the gospel and the concern of seeing people saved is to be where we're at. And no, we're not going to get there through a political party. No, we're not going to get there through motivational speaking. We're not going to get there through compromise. We're only going to get there by coming into the reality that God is who he says he is and that we need to appraise our situation and where we stand with him. And only him. We need to get into some spiritual reality. And we need to get out of this fantasy land that we have allowed the world to create and put us in. A box, if you will. And we have quietly went into that box as sheep being led into a corral. And we've asked no questions. We haven't aligned it with anything. David had problems. David appraised his life according to experience and God's Word. That's what we need to do today. I said there were three things. The third one, the Lord tells us to affirm our faith. And that's already been touched on through the message, but in verses 8, 9, and 10. Depart from me, David says, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard. We affirm faith by the repentance of sin. He heard. How will I know David was talking about sin? He told the workers of iniquity to get out. He told the workers of iniquity to leave. 
He didn't want to hear anything from them. He wanted nothing else of the message that they had to bring. He said, The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. He had repented. Now, repentance gets really murky in a lot of people's eyes. A lot of people think that all they have to do to repent is just say, yeah, whatever, I was wrong, and move on. A lot of people think that they don't have to do anything but just turn over a new leaf in life. A lot of people think that there's nothing to repentance, that it's all on God. They're all wrong. Repentance is understanding that there's areas in your life that are not in accordance with what God wants. And repentance is going to God and telling Him that you're wrong and meaning it. Not just acknowledging that that's what He wants to hear, but meaning it from the heart. Repentance is a thing of the heart. I have said through my entire ministry, repentance is the most beautiful word in the Bible, in my opinion. Because it reveals to people that God gives them an opportunity to set aside the mistakes and walk away from them. But it's got to come from the heart. It can't come from the head. It's got to come from a real, a real understanding of, under, of our sin, of our, of our condition that we've allowed ourselves to get into. An understanding that we got to get away from that because it's not what God wants. Repentance is turning away from those things and turning back to God and following that path because our heart tells us to. And it's not negotiable. There's no compromise in repentance. We have to follow repentance of sin in our personal life. We I see a lot on social media today paste, posted and pasted on there and everything, and it talks about the nation needs to repent, the nation needs to repent. Do you realize that the repentance of this nation, of the United States of America, begins with you and with me? If you and I fail to repent, the nation fails to repent. We can't repent for somebody else's sin. We can only repent for ours. We don't look at other people's situation and try to make a judgment. We look at ours. If their sin is revealed, then we pray for them to repent and for them to acknowledge it. If it is revealed to us, then we act accordingly. But in the bottom line, we don't ignore the fact that we have it in our life and we repent of it and we permanently change and go in the other direction. And we say so. It's not something that we hold quietly back from. David told him plainly, The Lord heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. It meant so much to him, he wrote it down. And it meant so much to God that he put it in our Bible. It means something to God 
to not only hear you say it to him in prayer, but to hear you say it and tell it to those around you so that it will effectually change the lives that others are living and point them to God through Jesus Christ. We affirm our faith by repentance. We affirm our faith by receiving Jesus. There are some of you out there who love to talk about Jesus. There are some of you out there who know quite a bit about Jesus. There are some of you out there who can quote scripture from one end to the other. There are some of you out there who will make a stand on a translation of the Bible and you'll die on that stand. But those very same people can't say that they have ever accepted him as Lord and Savior. That's troubling. That's troubling. If you're going to affirm your faith, you have to have that cornerstone, and that cornerstone has to be Jesus. You can't affirm that on a denomination. You can't affirm it on water baptism. You can't affirm it on any belief. You can't affirm it on any pope. You can only affirm it on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Personally. That personal, very personal relationship where you know you've cried out to Him. And you know he has accepted you. The rest of that stuff makes no difference anymore. It's personal. It's between you and God through Jesus Christ. That's where it all comes down to. When the rubber meets the road, it's all about getting your hands dirty in the gospel. It's all about getting your knees dirty in kneeling in prayer. It's all about who you are from the heart. Who you are in character more so than reputation. Reputation comes from man. And man can be easily fooled because man is deceived by nature. Character is who God knows you. Your salvation is a matter of character that's established through Jesus Christ. You want to affirm your faith? It has to be through salvation. You want to affirm your faith? You do it by daily renewing it. Christian, for some of you who are saved, for some of you who have a membership in a church, for some of you who have a talk and a testimony, sadly, this will be the only time in the week that your Bible will be opened. That's sad. It will also be the only time in the week where you pray. The opening and closing prayer of this service will be the only prayer that you participate in. There will be no dedication in your life. No devotion. 
moving forward. If you want to affirm your faith today, and if you want to talk about Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you had better start implementing it in your daily life. Because again, it's your character that God is looking at. And if you only show up for one service a week, and He only hears your prayers one day a week, and for a couple of times during that day, and then it's all over, it's all said and done with, he, he is questioning, and rightfully so, your devotion. Because David comes back, and he says, Let all my enemies be ashamed. Let them be sorely vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. How does that happen? It happens because David's life has been turned around completely. And he is devoted, he is dedicated, he is prayerful, he is affirming his faith, and he is letting his faith lead him. That's where we're going with this. What is the prescription for the problems of life? It is the appeal for God's help. It is the appraisal of our own life. And it is the affirmation of faith, true faith. Those are going to get us through the problems. They're going to get you through the problems. They're going to get me through the problems of life. Nothing else is going to work. It's only going to add to the problems. It's only going to add to the frustrations. It's only going to add to the difficulties. So, are you following God's prescription to deal with problems in your life? That's where we all come to at the end. It's a yes or no answer. Well, I might be sometime, I guess I am sort of, then you're not. You're not. And I want to encourage you today to don't, don't look at this message as one that's trying to browbeat you down into depression. I want you to look at this message as God's word wanting to lift you up. You're wanting you to find the strength, to find the joy, to find what David had found here in Psalm 6. It's available to you. It's available to me. If we will just follow God's prescription. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that you've given. Thank you for the opportunity and the time you've given to share it. Lord, I pray for each one who hears this message. I pray that it would touch hearts and lives. I pray that people would be saved because of your words. Not because of me, but because of your words. And Heavenly Father, this messenger wants to back away and hide behind the cross. Let Jesus Christ do his work. Let the Holy Spirit move in hearts and lives. May this nation be revived. May it be reawakened. May it come to you in a renewal that it has never seen before in history. Heavenly Father, I pray and I thank you so much for your precious words. Once again, I thank all of those who have reached out and helped us this morning in prayer. I thank all of those 
who have contributed their time to help with the broadcast of this message. And Lord God, thank you most of all. Thank you for Jesus Christ. For it's in his precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I hope and pray that this message has touched your heart and life. I hope you find some encouragement from it. And if you'd like, feel free to contact me through Facebook, through Messenger, or through the website, www.theinspiringwords.org. Thank you. Remember our services on Wednesday. Until then, may God bless you is my prayer.